I always keep the times to read after luncheon. I do have another newspaper. I call it the Daily All Sorts because that is what it is, and I read that in the morning. But the Times is a special moment in my day. I always begin with the births, marriages, and deaths. Though sadly nowadays one is only interested in the deaths. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quantrill, dear me, that must be Elizabeth Quantrill. I thought she died years ago, eighty-five, and she was such a delicate little creature. Nobody expected her to make old bones. Raphael, that name's familiar. No flowers. Raphael, Jason, Raphael. Oh, of course. Though I never knew his name was Jason, Mister Raphael and the Blue Caribbean Sea. He'd known it wouldn't be very long before he died. Ave Caesar, nos moriturai, te salutamus. I'm afraid I don't know much Latin. But you understood that. It's what the gladiators used to say when they stood before the emperor in the arena. We who are about to die salute you. Exactly. Poor Mr. Raphael. I hope he didn't suffer. A letter for you, Miss Marple. Come by second post. It's got a London postmark. Thank you, Cherry. It was from a firm of solicitors, Messrs. Broadrib and Schuster, asking me in suitably courteous and legal phraseology to call upon them the following week to discuss a proposition that might be to my advantage. They were solicitors to the late Mr. Raphael, with whom they understood I had been acquainted. Nothing the matter is there, Miss Marple. You look rather startled. No, nothing's the matter. I've had a rather unusual letter from a firm of solicitors. Nobody's suing you for anything, are they? Oh no, I don't think so. Nothing of that kind. <gasps> Perhaps you've been left a fortune. That I think is very unlikely. Well, you never know. You will doubtless be wondering what this is all about, Miss Marple.、Uh, you've heard, no doubt, of Mr. Raphael's death. I saw it in the paper. He was, I understand, a friend of yours. I suppose you might say that. I met him just over a year ago in the West Indies. Ah, yes, yes, I remember. He went out there for his health, I believe, but he was already gravely ill, badly crippled, as you know. Yes, he was. Well,、uh, let us proceed to the purpose of this appointment. As you no doubt realise, Mr. Raphael died a very rich man. The provisions of his will are, on the whole, fairly simple, but where you were concerned, the circumstances are somewhat, well, unusual. Oh. I'm authorised to tell you that a sum of money has been laid aside to become yours absolutely at the end of one year, but conditional on your accepting a certain proposition, with which I am to make you acquainted. It is contained in this letter.、Oh, thank you, Mr. Broadrib. 
If you would be so kind as to pass me over that paper knife. Of course. There's no hurry. Please, take your time. This letter will be delivered to you after my death by the good offices of my solicitor, James Broadrib. Like the majority of the human race, he's susceptible to the sin of curiosity. I've taken pains not to satisfy it. In some respects, this matter will remain between you and myself. Our code word, my dear lady, is nemesis. I don't think you will have forgotten in what place and in what circumstances you first spoke that word to me. The Greeks had a word for it. Nemesis, if I'm not mistaken. Nemesis? The goddess of retribution? So that's who you are, is it? I hope to be, with your help. In the course of my business activities over what is now quite a long life, I've learned one thing about a man whom I wish to employ. He has to have a flair. A flair for the particular job I want him to do. You, my dear, if I may call you that, have a natural flair for justice. And that has led to your having a natural flair for crime. I want you to investigate a certain crime, though... Mystery might perhaps be a more appropriate word. I've ordered a certain sum to be placed with my solicitors so that if you accept this request, and as a result of your investigation, this crime is properly elucidated, the money will become yours absolutely. I've set a year for you to engage in this mission. You're not young, but you are, if I may say so, tough. I think I can trust a reasonable fate to keep you alive for a year at least. I offer this to you as an alternative to what may be your life at present. I envisage you knitting more jackets and a good many other things of which I do not know the name. If you prefer to continue knitting, that is your decision. If you prefer to serve the cause of justice, I hope that you may at least find it interesting. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an everlasting stream. The Book of Amos well, Miss Marple? This is hardly very definite. Is there any further information? Uh, not as far as I'm concerned. I was instructed to hand you this and tell you the amount of the legacy. Uh, the sum in question is £20,000, free of legacy duty. That is a very large sum of money. Not quite as large as it used to be, but not to be despised by any means. No, indeed. Enough to enable me to benefit certain charities in which I have an interest and indulge myself in a few little luxuries. A Mediterranean cruise, perhaps? My tastes are a little more modest. I should enjoy a partridge, a whole partridge to myself, and perhaps that... Oh, but I mustn't indulge in idle chat. I will take this letter home and reflect on it. But I must say I am entirely in the dark as to what he expects of me. Uh, forgive me if this is idle curiosity, Miss Marple, but have you had any experience in the detection of crime? Not in any professional sense. But during our stay in the West Indies, Mr. Raphael and I were caught up in the investigation of a rather unlikely murder. Three murders, in fact. And you and Mr. Raphael solved them? We certainly prevented another murder being committed, and the killer was brought to justice. 
Unfortunately, Mr. Raphael's secretary, Esther Walters, was most unhappily involved in the whole wretched business, most distressing for her. Tell me, would it be infringing etiquette if I asked whether Mr. Raphael left her £50,000? Since his bequests will shortly appear in the papers, I can answer in the affirmative. Uh, Mrs. Walter's name is now Mrs. Anderson, by the way. She has remarried. Oh, I'm so glad. I wonder if you would be kind enough to give me her address. I would like to write to her. Of course. I'm sure she'd be delighted to hear from you. It is rather like a crossword puzzle without any clues. Quite intriguing, in a way. And I suppose Mr. Raphael meant it to be intriguing. He'd enjoy the thought of me sitting here trying to work out what he was up to. If you knew what you looked like that night with that fluffy pink wool scarf all around your head, standing there and saying you were nemesis, I'll never forget it. I believe in eternal life. I don't know exactly where you are, Mr. Raphael, but I have no doubt that you are somewhere. I will do my best to fulfil your wishes. Yes, Miss Marple. Was there something you wanted? Yes, there is, Cherry. But first, I want you to tell me something. Do you know a woman who is living in a new house somewhere here? I think she's called Mrs. Hastings. And someone called Miss Bartlett, I think it is, who lives with her. Do you mean the people who moved in a few days ago to that house that's just been done up and repaired? Probably. Yeah. They stopped and talked to me for a moment while I was working in the garden. Oh, I don't think there's anything very interesting about them. Well, no, it's not important. But I want you to order Inch for me to come here at about half past eleven. It isn't Inch anymore, Miss Marple. Hasn't been for years. It's Arthur's car hire now. Are you going to London? No, I'm not. Will you tell Edward that I wish to go to Alton? Edward retired years ago, Miss Marple. It's George. He will have to get used to my calling him Edward. And there's something else I want you to do for me. Telephone this number and ask if Mrs. Anderson is at home. You are to be a certain Mr. Broadrib's secretary, oh. and you are to ask if Mrs. Anderson will be at home later today to receive a call from Mr. Broadrib. Oh, the things you come up with! Why do you want me to do that? I simply want to know where she's likely to be and at what time of day. I want to try and arrange to meet her by accident. Oh, it all sounds very odd to me. I suppose you know what you're doing. And that was how I found out that Mrs. Anderson, or Esther Walters, as I remembered her, would be out shopping at the supermarket. And it's not difficult for an elderly person not to look where she is going and bump into somebody. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, my fault entirely, I'm afraid. Daydreaming as usual. But surely, it's Mrs. Walters, isn't it? Oh, you won't remember me, of course. Jane Marple. We met at the hotel in St. Honoré. Oh, it must be a year and a half ago. It's Marple. Of course I remember you. Fancy seeing you here. It's so nice to meet you again. I'm lunching with some friends near Hazelmere, but I have to pass through here on my way back. I would so love to have a nice chat with you. Will you be at home this afternoon? Yes, of course. Any time after three o'clock. If you're sure it's no trouble. Oh, no. No, it's no trouble. I'll give you my address. How wonderfully well you're looking. I had no idea that you lived in this part of the world. I've only been here for a short time, 
Since my marriage, in fact. Oh, I didn't know about that. I suppose I must have missed it. I always go through the marriages. It's nearly five months. My name's Anderson now. Mrs. Anderson. I must try and remember that. And your husband? He's an engineer. He's a little younger than I am. Oh, so much better, my dear. In these days, men age quicker than women. I think they worry and work too hard. I'm sure we are a much tougher sex. Perhaps we are. I expect you saw the notice of Mr. Raphael's death. Yes, indeed I did. I was so sorry. Very distressed, really. Although, well, I suppose one knew. He almost admitted it himself, didn't he? I think he was very brave about it all. Yes, he was a very brave man. And a very kind one. I would have liked to have seen Mr. Raphael again. It seems odd after we'd all been mixed together so. I was thinking, after I'd seen the notice of his death, how little I really knew about him. Where he was born, whether he had any children or nephews or any family. He wasn't married, was he? He never mentioned a wife. He lost his wife many years ago. I believe she was much younger than he was. And were there children? Oh, yes. Two daughters and a son. One daughter's married and lives in America, and the other daughter died young, I believe. Miss Raphael never spoke about his son. I rather think that there had been trouble there, scandal or something of that kind. I believe he died some years ago. Anyway, his name was never mentioned. Oh, dear. How very sad. I think it happened quite a long time ago. I believe he took off for somewhere or other abroad and never came back. Died out there, wherever it was. He never said anything about the boy at all? If you remember, he was a man who never said much about his personal feelings or his own life. No, no, of course not. But I thought perhaps you having been, well, his secretary for so many years, that he might have confided any troubles in you. He was not a man for confiding troubles. He was wedded to his business, one might say. That was the only thing that really interested him. Do you think... I've often wondered whether Mr. Raphael had any particular interest in criminology. I you mean, mean because of what happened on St. Honore? Well, no, not because of that, but afterwards, perhaps. He wondered about the psychology of these things, or he got interested in cases where justice had not been administered Why properly. should he take the least interest in anything of that kind? And don't let's go into all that horrible business... I am sorry. I shouldn't have talked about distressing matters that have fortunately passed. Oh, and I must be getting on my way. But you surely won't stay for a cup of tea. Oh, no, thank you, my dear. I really must be going. I'm very pleased to have seen you again, and I've enjoyed our little chat. I'm so pleased to see you so contented and well. I hope you have a very happy life. I don't suppose you will be taking up any position again, will you? I don't believe so, Miss Marple. I think I shall rather enjoy leading a life of leisure and making the most of the legacy Mr. Raphael left me. It's very kind of him, and I think he'd want me to appreciate it to the full, even if I spent some of it on expensive clothes and a new hairdo. I was fond of him, you know. I think it was because he was a sort of challenge to me. He was difficult to get on with, and therefore I enjoyed managing it. And managing him? Well, perhaps not quite managing him, but possibly a little more than he thought I was.
I was wrong. I thought this business of Mr. Raphael's might have been something to do with her, but obviously I was wrong. I can't help feeling that he expected me to be much cleverer than I am being. I think he reckoned that I would put things together. But what things? Oh, what a tiresome man you are, Mr. Raphael. But I've done all I can. And now I will have to leave it to you. Another letter from London, Miss Marple. I think it's those lawyer people again. Thank you, Cherry. Hope it's good news. I hope it contains something positive at long last. Ah, it's from Mr. Raphael. Dear Miss Marple, by the time you read this, I shall be dead and buried. Not cremated, if my wishes are carried out. It's all seemed to me unlikely that one would manage to rise up from one's handsome bronze vase full of ashes and haunt anyone. Whereas rising from the grave to do a little haunting is quite possible. Shall I want to do that? Who knows? I might even want to communicate with you. Oh, I only wish you would. This should reach you, if my solicitors have done what I've told them to do, on the 11th of the month. In two days' time, you'll receive a communication from a travel bureau in London. I hope that what it proposes will not be distasteful to you. I shan't say more. I want you to have an open mind. Take care of yourself. The best of luck, and may your guardian angel be at your side and looking after you. You may need one. Your affectionate friend, J.B. Raphael. I may be going away, Cherry, on a tour. A tour? You mean a package holiday abroad? Not abroad. In England, visiting historic buildings and gardens. The letter came this morning. Famous houses and gardens of Great Britain. Starting from London on Thursday next. Thursday? For how long? Uh, Eighteen days, I think it is. Do you think it'll be all right at your age? These things can be very tiring, you know. You have to walk miles sometimes. My health is really very good, Cherry. And I've always heard that on these tours, they're careful to provide restful intervals for such people who are not particularly strong. Well, be careful of yourself, that's all. We don't want you falling down with a heart attack in the middle of one of those stately homes. You're a bit old, you know, for this sort of thing. I can take care of myself. And where are you going to stay? Are the hotels all right? It says I am to have the best accommodation and all the luxury available that they can provide. Must be costing a pretty penny. And that is not one of my worries. The holiday is a present. A present from an old friend. Well, just you be careful, that's all. And so it was that I found myself on board a comfortable and luxurious coach, taking a northwesterly route out of London. There was a handsome brochure giving details of our daily itinerary and of the less demanding alternatives arranged for the elderly or those suffering from arthritis or rheumatism. But what I was really interested in was the list of passengers. Since Mr. Raphael had gone to great pains to send me on this particular tour, was one of them, at least potentially, a criminal or a murderer? You're quite sure you brought the camera, Joanna? Yes, Aunt Geraldine, I'm quite sure. And we have sufficient film. Oh, yes, we're well provided for. That must be Mrs. Risley Porter, and the girl by her side must be Joanna Crawford, obviously well accustomed to coping with her. 
I don't want to find myself confronted with something I want to remember for the rest of my life and discover there's no film in the camera. There's no danger of that, Aunt Geraldine. I don't see Mrs. Risley Porter having anything to do with crime, much too social and self-centred. There's no difficulty in deciding which is Colonel and Mrs. Walker. So that means the American couple over there are Mr. and Mrs. Butler. Mr. Caspar is no doubt the excitable foreign gentleman who speaks such extraordinary English. And the man he's gibbering away at with the bushy eyebrows is probably Professor Wanstead. And that earnest-looking young man must be... Richard Jameson. That steeple is absolutely characteristic. If I had no idea where we were, that brooch steeple and those dormer windows would provide me with an exact location. Is Emlyn Price perhaps that good-looking young man who keeps stealing a glance at Joanna Crawford? And Elizabeth Temple? Hindley Hall? No, it's of no real consequence. I can't understand why they include it in the itinerary. She must be that handsome woman with the incisive voice. Which means that Miss Cook and Miss Barrow must be the two middle-aged ladies travelling together. I'm sure I've seen them before. Where could it have been? Certainly not at St. Honoré. I have to admit that none of them looks to me to be a likely murderer. Except Mr. Caspar, perhaps. And that's probably my own stupid prejudice against a foreigner. But could one of them be a potential victim? Oh, surely you can't have forgotten the arnica? I remember telling you quite specifically. I could imagine anyone doing away with Mrs. Risley Porter out of sheer exasperation. But this is getting me nowhere. All I know is there must be some connection between this tour and the problem Mr. Raphael wishes me to solve. It may be a person, but it might equally well be a famous house or a particular garden. I must simply be patient and wait for my next direction from a dead man. The dining room was added to the house in 1775, and as you can observe, its style is completely different from anything else we've seen in the rest of the house. It's a masterpiece of the Rococo style. The first house on our tour was a very grand mansion indeed. Mr. Jameson, who it transpired was an architect and rather too fond of the sound of his own voice, elected to give us a very detailed account of all the rooms. Notice the exquisite carvings on the fireplace. Uh, uh, nymphs taking shelter from a storm beneath a tree. The charming way in which their drapery is blown upwards by the wind. Uh, and, and observe how that particularly ugly-looking satyr is staring at But up. there were so many rooms and so many cramped staircases and so much standing about listening to Mr. Jameson that I soon sought refuge in the gardens and found a very comfortable seat where I was joined after a few minutes by Miss Temple. Going over houses is always tiring, especially if you have to listen to an exhausting lecture in every room. <laughs> of course, all that we were told was very interesting. Oh, do you think so? Don't you? No. Such a pretty garden. So unusually laid out. I've never seen anything quite like it. It was designed by a man named Holborn, a quite remarkable character. He died young. A great genius. It is so sad when anyone dies young. I wonder. But they miss so much. Or escape so much. 
Being old as I am now, I suppose I cannot help feeling that every death means missing things. And I have spent most of my life as a teacher and a headmistress among the young. And I look at life as a period of time complete in itself. I see what you mean. A life of whatever length is a complete experience. But don't you ever feel that a life could be incomplete because it has been cut unduly short? Yes, that is so. How beautiful peonies are, so proud and yet so beautifully fragile. Did you come on this trip to see the houses or the gardens? I suppose really to see the houses. I shall enjoy the gardens most, but the houses will be a new experience for me. A kind friend gave me this trip as a gift. I'm very grateful. I've not seen many big and famous houses in my life. A generous thought. Do you often go on sightseeing tours of this kind? No. And this is not exactly a sightseeing tour for me. Then why? Why don't you make a guess? It would interest me. I know that you're quite a famous person and that your school has a high reputation. But I'm making my guess from what you look like. I should write you down as a pilgrim. You have the look of one who is undertaking a pilgrimage. Yes. That describes it very well. The friend who sent me on this tour and paid all my expenses is now dead. He was a Mr. Raphael, a very rich man. Did you by any chance know him? Jason Raphael? I, I know the name, of course. I, I never knew him personally or met him. Oh. He gave a large endowment once to an educational project in which I was concerned. I saw the notice of his death in the papers. So, he was an old friend of yours? Oh, no. I met him a year or so ago in the West Indies. I never knew much about him, his life or his family or any personal friends that he had. He was a man who was very reserved about himself. Did you know his family? I knew a girl once... Uh, a girl who had been a pupil of mine at Fallowfield, my school. She was no actual relation to Mr. Raphael, but she was at one time engaged to marry his son. But she didn't marry him? No. Why not? One might hope to say because she had too much sense. He was not the type of young man one would want anyone one was fond of to marry. She was a very lovely girl and a very sweet girl. I don't know why she didn't marry him. Nobody ever told me. Anyway, she died. Why did she die? Love. Love? Love. In part one of Agatha Christie's Nemesis, Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield. Mr. Raphael, George A. Cooper. Miss Temple, Jill Balkan. Cherry, Jane Whittenshaw. Mr. Broadrib, Geoffrey Whitehead. Esther Anderson, Yvonne Edgel. Mrs. Risley Porter, Margot Boyd. Joanna Crawford, Molly Gaysford. Richard Jameson, Charles Simpson. Other parts were played by members of the cast. Nemesis is dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams.
Mr. Raphael, whom I had got to know during a holiday in the Caribbean, had left me a legacy of £20,000 in his will on condition that I investigated and solved a crime. I was given no indication of what this crime was, but simply sent off on a coach tour of historic houses and gardens, all expenses paid. None of my fellow passengers seemed to be obvious criminal suspects, but one of them, a Miss Temple, told me the story of a girl who had known the son of Mr. Raphael, and whom, she said, had died of love. Was this perhaps the first clue to the mystery I was supposed to be investigating? We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's Nemesis. I was feeling a little tired and thought that I would miss out the afternoon visit to the Church of Saints Peter and Paul with its 14th century glass and very peculiar bench ends. I put my feet up for a while and joined the others at tea time in the Tudor Rose Café. When I got there, two of my fellow passengers, Miss Cook and Miss Barrow, whom I was convinced that I had seen before, were engaged in animated conversation. You really wonder how they managed to get away with some of the things they carved on those bench ends. Not a Christian symbol to be seen. Mermaid and suddenly I recognised them. Miss Cook had had her hair dyed, but there was no mistaking her. I was determined to get to the bottom Such of it. more like a demon to me. Forgive me, but I am sure that we have met before. I've been wondering and wondering where it was. I don't know if you've ever stayed in my part of the world. I live in St. Mary Mead. St. Mary Mead? But of course, I was in my garden one day and you spoke to me as you were passing by on the path. Of course, how stupid of me. I do remember you now. We talked about how difficult it was to get anybody to do odd gardening jobs. You said you were staying with someone, I believe. That's right. I was staying with... With Mrs. Sutherland? No, no. It was... Mrs. Hastings. Such a coincidence meeting again so soon. Such a small world, isn't it? But a love of gardens does have a way of bringing people together, don't you think? Was it just chance, mere coincidence, or had there been some reason for Miss Cook to pass by my garden? Had she been sent there, and if so, why? But the following day all such thoughts were banished from my mind. I was wondering whether I would really be up to the next stage of the tour, which involved a long walk along a coastal path. Excuse me, but are you Miss Marple? Miss Jane Marple? Yes, I am. My name is Mrs. Glynn, Lavinia Glynn. I live near here at the old manor house with my sisters, and we heard that you would be staying here at the Golden Ball. You heard I was coming? Yes. A very old friend of ours wrote to us, oh, quite some time ago, but he asked us to make a note of the date and said a great friend of his would be coming here on the famous Houses and Gardens tour. Really? But I... I'm speaking of Mr. Raphael. Mr. Raphael? But you do know that he... That he died? 
Yes, I think it must have been very soon after he wrote to us. But we felt that made it particularly important to do what he had asked. He suggested that you might like to come and stay with us for a couple of nights. Oh, I see. My sisters and I would be so very pleased if you could come and stay with us. Our home's only ten minutes' walk from the hotel, and I'm sure we could show you some very interesting things locally. That is really most kind of you. I would be very pleased to come. Your room's on the first floor. I expect you'll be grateful for that. It's rather a rambling old barn of a place. Oh, it is a charming house. So beautifully proportioned. Built in the 1700s, am I right? 1780. It was left to us by our uncle, Colonel Bradbury Scott. My sisters moved in shortly after his death, and I came here to live with them after I lost my husband. We should be very grateful for the place, I suppose, but oh, it's the devil to keep up. This is your room, Miss Marple. Oh, it's lovely. Can I help you unpack? Oh, no. I have brought very little. Well, as soon as you're ready, come down and meet my sisters. But take your time. There's no urgency about anything in this house. Thank you. Hmm. Three sisters... Sounds very Russian. Distressed gentlewomen would be the term, I suppose. Living by themselves in a decaying old house with a neglected garden. And all this has been arranged by Mr. Raphael. If only I understood what I am supposed to do. But perhaps I meant to find out for myself. Perhaps he did not want to influence me. But are these three ladies to be my allies? Or are they my enemies? Will you take a glass of sherry, Miss Marple? Oh, thank you. My sister, Anthea Bradbury Scott. I hope you won't consider it too dry. And my other sister, Clotilde. I don't know whether you like sitting rather high. So many people do. Oh, I certainly do. It's so much easier one's back, you know. Oh, I do understand. I hate the kind of chairs that positively compel you to slump into them. But I will just get you a cushion. Oh, thank you. Oh, I don't think you would get They certainly are a very curious trio. Lavinia tweed-suited and practical. Anthea waif-like, a kind of aging Ophelia. And Clotilde, tall and handsome. She would have made a magnificent Clytemnestra. The kind who would have stabbed her husband to death without the least compunction. Except that she has never had a husband. Our uncle had one son, you see, and he was killed in the war. We really are the last of the family. Such a lovely house. Your sister tells me it was built around 1780. Yes, mid-Trojan. Of course, one could wish that it was not quite so large. So easy to lose one's way in. And so very difficult to keep up. Well, we've had to let quite a lot of it fall down. Well, sad, but there it is. The outhouses are in a frightful state, and the greenhouse crumbled away. Such a pretty greenhouse with a lovely muscat grapevine and cherry pie used to grow all along the walls inside. Oh, I miss it so much. Of course, during the war, we could not get gardeners, and it was impossible to keep it repaired. The whole greenhouse just collapsed. 
During lunch, conversation lapsed into polite platitudes. There was something staged and unnatural about it all. Somehow, I managed to steer the talk around to Mr. Raphael. Was he an old friend of yours, Miss Marple? Not really. I met him when I was taking a holiday in the West Indies. He was out there for his health, I believe. The poor soul. He'd been severely crippled for years. Very sad. Though I really admired his strength of mind, he seemed to manage to do so much work. He refused to give in to being an invalid. Oh, no. He wouldn't. We didn't see much of him in the last years, though he always remembered us at Christmas very kindly. It was very good of him to suggest that you should invite me here. One couldn't really have expected such a busy man to give his mind to things like that. Oh, we have had friends of his here who've been on the tour before. Some of the excursions can really be very taxing. Even going round old houses can be very tiring. You're quite right. So much walking and standing about. But it is such a temptation to look into another fine room and see the paintings and the furniture. And the gardens. You do like gardens, don't you? Oh, yes. The gardens are what I really look forward to. Perhaps you'd care to take a look at ours. It's rather gone to seed, of course. Oh, I'd like to very much. That's the greenhouse I was telling you about. Although you'd hardly know it was there at all now. It's so grown over. And that's where you had the grapevine. Three vines? And a heliotrope, you said? Cherry pie. Oh, such a lovely smell. What's the flowering creeper just coming into bloom? It's quite a common one. Poly something. Of course. It's Polygonum bolshuanicum. A very quick grower, I believe. Very useful if you wish to conceal an ugly building or something of that kind. You, you really must come and see our magnolia tree. It, it's down here. There used to be a very fine herbaceous border here, but it was too difficult to keep up. Nothing is like it used to be. It's all spoiled everywhere and so overgrown. Ah, here's the magnolia. Yes, it's very fine. Do you often come on these tours? Oh, no, this is my first time. I was wondering why you chose to do it. They can be so very tiring. Still, if you usually go to the West Indies and places like but that... But I don't. The West Indies was a present from my nephew. Oh, I see. I don't know what one would do without the younger generation. They're so kind, are they not? I really don't know. We haven't any young relations. Does your sister, Mrs. Glynn, have any children? She didn't say, and one never likes to ask. Oh, no. She and her husband never had any children. Perhaps it was as well. What on earth did she mean by that? And why, having taken me to see the greenhouse, was she suddenly determined to steer me away from it? Hmm. There's something a little sinister about her for all her scattiness. The three weird sisters. Or am I just letting my imagination run away with me? But there is melancholy here in this place as if it had somehow been deeply impregnated with sorrow. I brought you early morning tea, Miss Martha. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Just Sir. call me Amy. Everyone else does. Shall I draw your curtains? Please do. It's such a pity to waste the day. The people on your tour will have it nice and fine going up to the Bonaventure Rocks. 
do it as well. You're not doing it. It can be very cruel on the legs. It was very kind of Mrs. Glynn and her sisters to ask me to stay here. Well, it's nice for them, too. It cheers them up to have a bit of company. Such nice ladies they are, too. Miss Anthea's a bit scatty, I suppose, but Miss Clotilde went to a university. She speaks three languages. And Mrs. Glynn's a very nice lady indeed. I thought that when she come here, things might go better. But you never know, do you, what the future holds. I feel sometimes as though there were a doom on this house. A doom? First, there was the plane crash in Spain. Two of Miss Clotilde's friends died in it. They were husband and wife. Their daughter was at school when it happened. And Miss Clotilde brought her here to live. She did everything for her. Treated her just like her own. Took her on trips abroad. She was such a happy girl. You'd never dream that such an awful thing could happen. What awful thing? Did it happen here? This is where it began, you might say. It was here that she met him. The ladies knew his father and he came here to visit. That was the beginning. She fell in love with him straight away. He was an attractive-looking boy with a nice way of talking. You'd never think for a moment... I think I may have heard something about that. A love affair that went wrong. And the girl committed suicide? Suicide? Whoever told you that? It was murder. The poor soul was strangled. Oh, how horrible. They found her in a disused quarry a good 30 miles from here. Miss Clotilde had to go and identify the body. She's never been quite the same since. The poor woman. And it's believed that it wasn't the first murder he'd done. There'd been other girls. He was a devil right through. What happened to him? Ah, oh, well, they'd abolished hanging by then, or else he was too young. They sent him to Broadmoor or somewhere. What was the name of the boy? Michael. I can't remember the other name. An Italian sort of name. Someone who paints. Raphael? That's right. There was a rumour that his father, being so rich, got him out of going to prison. But that may have been just talk. Was this the problem that I was supposed to solve? The savage murder of an infatuated young girl by Mr. Raphael's son? But what was there to investigate? It was all over and done with years ago. I saw very little of the sisters that day, and when we did meet at dinner, conversation was as polite and formal as before, except that Anthea seemed scattier than ever. I went to bed that night with a sense of failure. It was like a fishing expedition where the fish had failed to rise. What I really needed was to talk to Elizabeth Temple again. I was certain that she knew far more about the girl's death than she had told me. Come in. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to disturb you, Miss Marple. Oh, you're not disturbing me in the least. My suitcase is packed and I'm ready to leave. Well, uh, there's a young man downstairs who's called to see you, Emlyn Price. He's on the tour with you, I believe. Yes, of course. I remember him rather a lot of untidy hair. Uh, what does he want? It seems there's been an accident. One of the people on your tour has been hurt. Did he say who? Uh, Miss Temple, I believe. Elizabeth Temple. I'm so sorry. Elizabeth Temple? Do you mean the headmistress? Yes. Well, I had no idea that was whom he was talking about. I've heard of it, of course. Oh, I 
hope she's not badly hurt. I shall come down straight away and hear what Mr. Price has to say. It was on the way up to the memorial cross at the top of Bonaventure Rocks. Some huge stones came crashing down the hillside from above. It's rather a precipitous slope, and one of them hit her with full force. She was knocked out. They took her off to the hospital last night. And how is she? I gather she's rather bad. Anyway, the tour's off for today, and we're all staying on another night at the Golden Ball. Oh, dear, I really am very sorry. The courier went off to the hospital first thing this morning and said she'd join us at the Golden Ball at 11. I thought perhaps you'd like to be there when she brings us the latest news. Most certainly I would. I'll just say goodbye to these dear ladies who've been so kind to me, and then I will come back with you to the hotel. It seems it's more serious than we thought, Miss Marple. Very severe concussion. A specialist has been called in. The grass was very slippery. I nearly fell over once or twice myself. And quite a shower of stones came down just as I was turning a corner of the path. One of them struck me on the shoulder quite sharply. After a while, the party, tired of waiting for news, began to drift away in twos and threes into the town. Emlyn Price persuaded Joanna Crawford to escape from the eagle eye of her aunt and to go for a walk with him. Miss Cook and Miss Barrow went off in search of a post office. I was sitting in a quiet corner of the lounge when I noticed one of my fellow passengers striding purposefully in my direction. It was Professor Wanstead. I'm not wrong, am I? You are Miss Jane Marple. Yes, I am Jane Marple. I thought so from a description I had of you. A description of me? Yes, from Mr. Raphael. I think that it might be more pleasant if we were to go and sit on the little terrace outside the hotel. No one is likely to disturb us there or overhear what we say. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Poor Miss Temple. Such an unfortunate thing to happen. Yes, very sad. And unexpected, do you think? Or not so unexpected? No, whatever do you mean by that? Mr. Raphael spoke to me about you at some length. He suggested that I should go on this tour to meet you and, shall we say, to keep an eye on you. To keep an eye on me? For what reason? He wanted to be quite sure that nothing should happen to you. And what should happen to me? Possibly what happened to Elizabeth Temple. You mean it wasn't an accident? I think it's just possible. I don't, of course, know anything about it. No, you were absent from the scene. You were on duty elsewhere. I don't know what you mean. You are being careful, and quite right, too. I have made it a habit. To be careful? I would not put it exactly like that, but I have made a point of being always ready to disbelieve as well as to believe anything that is told to me. You are quite right. You don't know anything about me. But things are slightly different now. You must make up your mind whether I am your enemy or your ally. You have given me no information on which to judge. You were a friend, I presume, of the late Mr. Raphael? No, I was not a friend. I met him once or twice. He knew about me. If I were to say to you that I am a man of some eminence in my own profession, would you think me conceited? No, I think you are probably speaking the truth. You are perhaps a medical man? In a sense. 
I am a pathologist and psychologist, and I specialize in medical jurisprudence, the study of the criminal brain. From what you are saying, I am hoping that you may be able to explain to me certain things about which Mr. Raphael preferred to keep me in the dark. I imagine that he wanted you to approach a certain set of facts and happenings unbiased by what anyone would tell you first. So you're not going to tell me anything either. Oh, really, there are limits. Yes, I suppose it actually is rather unfair. I will tell you a few facts that may make certain things clearer to you. Thank goodness for that. I have spent far too long groping about in the dark. I act as a confidential advisor from time to time for the Home Office, and I'm in touch with certain institutions in the prison service. Please, go on. I was approached by a governor who happens to be a friend of long-standing. He was not satisfied about a particular inmate in his charge. The man had been sent to prison when he was quite young, but he already had a formidable record. He had beaten people up. He was a thief and an embezzler and a fraud. In fact, he was a son who would be any father's despair. You are talking of Mr. Raphael's son. Yes, I am. What do you know about him? Precious little. I heard that Mr. Raphael had a son with a criminal record, but I really know very little about him. He was his only son? Yes. I think he did all that was possible for him, except give him love. He got him out of scrapes at school. He engaged top lawyers to get him released from court proceedings wherever possible. And then the boy was arrested on a charge of assault against a young woman. He was sent to prison for it, with some leniency shown because of his youth. But with his next offence, he put himself beyond any possibility of that. He killed a girl, is that right? That is what I've been told. He lured a girl away from her home. It was some time before her body was found. She had been strangled, and afterwards her face had been disfigured, presumably to prevent her identity being known. Not a very nice business. What an odd way to describe it. I don't like that kind of thing. I never have. If you expect me to feel sympathy or blame it on an unhappy childhood or weep over this young murderer of yours, I do not feel inclined to do so. I do not like evil beings who do evil things. I am delighted to hear it. But in the present case, my friend the governor became increasingly certain that the verdict was wrong. He did not believe that the boy had killed the girl and disfigured her. He wanted me to see him and to make a professional appraisal. Evidently a man of experience who loved justice. So did you go to see Michael Raphael? I did. I talked to him at great length, and I concluded that he was not a murderer. So what did you do? I went to see his father and told him that although there was no evidence and no grounds for appeal, the governor and I both believed that there had been a miscarriage of justice. I told him that there might be evidence, but that it would be expensive and very difficult to look for it. And what did he feel about his son? He was extremely honest with me, even if... Even uh, if he was rather ruthless. Yes, that's the word. But he was just and honest in a way I shall never forget. I've known what my son's like for years. I haven't tried to change him because I don't believe that anyone could change him. He's made in a certain way. He's crooked and will always be in trouble. But if he's not guilty of this terrible crime, then I want to see him vindicated. I want to get him released. I want to get him free to continue to lead his own life as best he can lead it. If somebody else killed that girl, I want the fact brought to light. I want justice for Michael. But I'm a very sick man, Professor. 
and my life is measured now in weeks. I happen to know an excellent team of lawyers. Your lawyers will be useless. I must arrange what I can in the time I've got left. I'll pay you well. I want no expense spared in investigating the case for me. But to assist you in the task, I must try to find a certain person. A Miss Jane Marple. If anyone can get to the root of all this, then it is she. I shall not give you her address. I want you to meet her in circumstances of my own choosing. Mm, and what is this lady like? That you will find out for yourself. She's elderly and a bit frail. She's a person who knows about people. And there's one other thing. She has a very fine sense of evil. She can sniff it out like leaking gas. Sniff evil out like leaking gas. How very strange. Would you say that was true? Yes, I think it is. I had an aunt who said she could smell when people told a lie. I can't say I can do anything like that, but I have at several times been apprehensive of the presence of evil. In fact, only yesterday. Yes, Miss Marple? Uh, on my arrival here, I was invited to stay with three sisters in an old manor house not far from here. They had been advised by Mr. Raphael that I was coming, and he had asked them to put me up for a day or two, since this part of the tour was rather demanding for an old person. And you took that as an indication of what you were to do? Of course. It was evident that he wanted me to go there. And did you learn anything? From the sisters themselves, nothing. But an old servant told me about the facts you've just given me. The terrible story of that poor young girl and Michael Raphael. And was there any connection with the three sisters? Only that they had been the guardians of the girl and had loved her dearly. But you were talking about a, a consciousness of evil. Not so much evil as a feeling of terrible melancholy. Though there was something rather disturbing about the youngest sister, Anthea. In what way disturbing? On the face of it, she was simply scatty. But I couldn't help feeling that she was frightened, as if she was being driven by some force she could not put a name to. Do you think that the sisters might know something about the dead girl's other friends? That there might be some rejected lover, someone with a grudge against her? Yes, it's perfectly possible. But there she is now. Who? Anthea, the scatty sister I was telling you about. The woman carrying the parcel. She's on her way to the post office by the look of it. All that floating grey hair, a kind of elderly Ophelia. That's exactly what I thought when I first saw her. You know, I'm haunted by the suspicion that there was something at the old manor house that I was meant to discover and that I failed to find it. But what? I have the feeling that my time there was wasted. At least it kept you out of harm's way for a couple of days. Now, I wonder what you mean by that. I have a nasty feeling that what happened to Miss Temple wasn't just an accident, and that something like that might well have happened to you. You may sniff out evil, but I scent danger. Mr. Raphael, whom I had met on holiday in the Caribbean, had left me a legacy in his will on the condition that I solved a crime. But there were no clues as to what it was. I was simply booked on a tour of famous houses and gardens. But I soon realized that the mystery concerned Mr. Raphael's son, Michael. 
From Miss Temple, who was also on the tour, I learned that he had been loved by a girl who had died. At the old manor house, where I stayed as a guest of three strange sisters, I learned from a servant that he had murdered her. And from Professor Wanstead, I discovered that Mr. Raphael wanted to find out whether his son was really guilty of the crime. But Miss Temple, whom I hoped would tell me more, had been seriously hurt in an accident. The professor had been finding out just how serious her condition was. The news isn't very good, I'm afraid, Miss Marple. Miss Temple is still unconscious. She can't be moved for several days. God only knows what's going to happen to the rest of the tour. It's all very distressing, poor Miss Temple. Mm, I've, I've got a car coming round in half an hour. There's a very interesting church at Bulletin, about ten miles away. I, I thought we might take a look at it. It's very kind of you, I'm sure, Professor. After all, there's no reason why we shouldn't explore the local sites. I suppose you're right. It just seems, well, I don't want to say heartless, but you know what I mean. My dear lady, Miss Temple is hardly an old friend of yours, and we are only visiting a church. Oh, you're right, of course. It is very kind of you to think of me. I'm sorry about the amateur dramatics back at the hotel, but one can never be too careful. We are not going to look at a church. No, I thought perhaps we weren't. We're going to the hospital at Caristan. That was where Miss Temple was taken? Yes, I had a call from the hospital authorities. And how is she? Not at all well. She may not recover consciousness again. On the other hand, she has had a few lucid intervals, and in one of them she asked for you. I wonder why. I don't see what use I could be to her. She's a great woman, not only a distinguished headmistress, but an outstanding educator. It will be a tragic loss if she dies as the result of an accident. An accident? Mm, I want to talk to you about that. I have been discussing it with two people who actually saw it happen. Who were they? The two young people, Joanna Crawford and Emily Price. And what did they say? Well, there are two paths up to the summit of Bonaventure. They were following the higher one, the rough track that winds round the curve of the hill, and as they turned the corner, Joanna said, she saw outlined against the skyline someone trying to roll a big boulder forward. The boulder started to rock and then to move downhill, steadily gaining speed. Miss Temple was walking along the main path below, apart from the others, and had come to a point just underneath when the boulder hit her. Was it a man or a woman they saw? They couldn't say with any certainty. Whoever it was was wearing trousers and had on a lurid colored pullover in red and black checks. Have you any idea who this person might have been? None whatever. Nor have they. It could have been somebody on the tour. It may be someone who loves violence for the sake of it. Or it might be an enemy. It all sounds terribly melodramatic. Who would want to kill a retired headmistress? It doesn't have to be a personal enemy. Think of all the girls who have passed through the school. You mean that Miss Temple might have discovered something that could be inconvenient or dangerous to some person if it were known? Something of the kind, yes. In that case, it seems indicated that there is someone on our coach tour who recognized Miss Temple but was not remembered or recognized by her. That red and black colored pullover you mentioned. What does it suggest to you? The trailing of flags. Something that will be seen and remembered. Yes. The object of it being that it can easily be thrown onto a rubbish dump, and then its wearer will be someone modestly or rather drably attired, who will not be suspected or thought of. 
It has to be meant, that red and black pullover. You suggested that it might be someone on the coach. Is there anyone in particular you have in mind? As far as Miss Temple is concerned, no one. But how could I know? There are two people that I'm rather doubtful about. And who are they? They are a couple calling themselves Miss Barrow and Miss Cook. A little time ago, Miss Cook turned up outside my garden fence in the village where I live. She talked to me about gardening, but it was obvious after a couple of minutes that she didn't know the least thing about it. Mm. What was she up to? She said she was staying with someone in the village. I didn't recognize her when I first saw her on the coach because she had dyed her hair. And she seemed to be trying to avoid me. But when I mentioned it to her, she admitted that she was the woman who had come to my garden. It sounds as if she came to take a look at you, so that she would know you if she saw you again. Exactly. And I'm not sure whether I like that idea very much. But why should anyone want to spy on you? After all, we are talking about deaths that took place some years ago. Deaths? I thought we were concerned with only one murder. Oh, no. No, there were two girls reported missing. One was the girl we have been talking about, the girl who was last seen in the company of Michael Raphael. And the other? A girl named Nora Broad. A very different kind of person. Rather too free with her favours, and possibly with one boyfriend too many. Her body was never found. But um, we shall soon be at the hospital, and let me tell you what has been arranged. The doctor does not think it advisable that there should be too many people round Miss Temple if she regains consciousness. One person alone, the person she expects to see, would not alarm her. She looks like a statue. As if she were not unconscious at all. A handsome woman. A woman of personality. One of those rare souls the world can ill afford to lose. Miss Marple. Yes, I am here. Miss Marple. You are Jane Marple. Yes, I am Jane Marple. Henry often speaks of you. Henry? The chief commissioner, Henry Clithering. Very old friend of mine. An old friend of mine, too. I remembered your name on the passenger list. You could help. That's what Henry would say. You might be able to find out. If I can help, I will. Which? Which of them? That's what one has got to know. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. A girl who died. Nora Broad. No, no, no. The other girl. Verity Hunt. I did not know her name before. You're an old woman, but you can still find out things, can't you? I've not much time. Find out which. It may be dangerous for you, but you will find out, won't you? With God's help. I will. Verity. Find out about Verity. Verity. Another name for truth.
So, did you find out anything? Very little. Only a name. Verity. Was that the name of the girl Michael Raphael is supposed to have killed? Yes, Verity Hunt. You didn't mention the name. I rather think that Mr. Raphael wanted you to find out for yourself. Miss Temple died an hour and a half after my visit. An inquest was to be held the following day, and it was decided that there should be a memorial service for her in the local church on the Thursday. And after that, the tour, or what's left of it, will continue as usual. That was the phrase he used. Mrs. Glynn came to see me. She is one of the three sisters I told you about. She suggested that I should go back to the old manor house for the night. She thought it might be more restful than the Golden Boar after all that has happened. And will you go? Oh, yes. I want to try out my new piece of information. The name of the girl? Yes. I want to let it fall like a pebble in a pool and watch the ripples spread from it. I hope you get the results you are anticipating. Verity. What did you say? <coughs> Clotilde. Verity. Verity, did you say? Did you know her? It is Verity Hunt, you mean. A girl's name? Yes. It is rather unusual, I think. Verity. Oh. I am so sorry. Have I said something I shouldn't? It was only because... No. No, of course not. It, it was just that it's a name we know. A name with which we have associations. It came into my mind because, you know, it was poor Miss Temple who said it. I went to see her in hospital. Professor Wanstead took me. He seemed to think that I might be able to get through to her in some way. She was in a coma, and they thought... Not that I was a friend of hers, but we had chatted together. But I'm afraid I was no use. She did say one or two words, but they didn't seem to mean anything. And then, just when it was time for me to leave, she opened her eyes and looked at me and said that word. Verity. And it stuck in my mind. But, of course, it might just mean truth. That is what verity means, isn't it? It was the Christian name of a girl we knew. That's why it startled us. Especially because of the awful way she died. Oh, Althea, we don't want to go into all that. But after all, everyone knows what happened. I thought perhaps Mr. Raphael might have mentioned the whole thing to you, Miss Marble. I'm so sorry. I'm afraid I don't quite understand what you're talking about. They found her body in a ditch. Verity was a girl we cared for very much. Her parents were friends of mine. They were killed in a plane crash. She came to live here for a time. She was a pupil at Fallowfield, Miss Temple School. I suppose that's how she happened to come out with her name. Yes, I see. We thought that Verity should stay with us while she made up her mind what to do with her life. She was 18. She thought of training as a nurse, but Miss Temple was very insistent that she should go to university. And she was studying for that when this horrible thing happened. Do you mind if we don't talk about it anymore? Come in. 
Mrs. Glynn. I thought I'd better come in and explain it all to you a little. Oh, of course, I am sorry that well, you I... couldn't possibly know that Clotilde was particularly fond of Verity and that her really horrible death came as a frightful shock to her. We never mention Verity if we can help it, but I think it would be easier if I told you the facts completely. Please do. Apparently, without our knowledge, Verity made friends with an undesirable, oh, a more than undesirable young man who already had a criminal record. He happened to visit us once when he was passing through. I think I'd better tell you the whole truth. He was Mr. Raphael's son, Michael. Oh, dear. I do seem to remember hearing that Mr. Raphael had a son who hadn't turned out very satisfactorily. He'd always given trouble. We were friends of his mother's. It was lucky for her, I think, that she died long before all this. We had, as people in the village will tell you, an outbreak of violent crime at that time. One day, Verity said she was going out to visit a friend, and, well, she... she didn't come back. Oh. The police searched the whole countryside, but they couldn't find any trace of her. Then word began to get around that she'd been seen in a car with Michael Raphael. Six months later, her body was discovered in a ditch 30 miles from here. Clotilde had to go and identify it. And it was Verity? Oh, yes, it was Verity. There were certain marks, a mole and an old scar, and her clothes and the contents of her handbag, of course. It's quite a comfort in a way to think that Miss Temple should have thought of her before she died. Good morning. Morning. I wonder if you have any wool that would match this colour. Mm. I'm knitting a little jacket for the daughter of a friend of mine, and I have rather miscalculated, I'm afraid. Oh, yes. I think we might be able to match that for you. Terrible business about that unfortunate woman who was killed on Bonaventure the other day. She wasn't the first, and I doubt whether she'll be the last. Same thing happened to old Mrs. Walker three years ago. Never even saw what hit her. Yeah, here we are. That's the colour you want, I oh, think? Oh, yes, that will do perfectly. Mm. And uh, while I'm here, a nephew of mine has asked me to get him a polo net pullover for his birthday. He's very keen on bright colours. He's seen a red and black check one somewhere... I wonder if you have anything like that in stock. Red and black check? Oh, I don't think so. We don't have much call for that sort of thing round here. There's this one, because it's dull green. You wouldn't settle for that, I suppose. Oh, no, not nearly flashy enough. You know what young people are like nowadays. Do I not? They're given far too much of their own way nowadays. Half of them would be better off behind bars, in my opinion. I believe you've had more than your fair share of unpleasantness in this part of the world. Oh, we got that fellow in the end. Nice-looking boy. He'd been well brought up, you know. But he had a bad record, stealing, forging checks and all that, and two, what do you call them, paternity cases. You know what I mean. He got two girls in the family way. Was the girl he murdered in the family way? Oh, yes, she was. Now, first, when the body was found, we thought it might be Nora Broad. That's Mrs. Broad's niece down at the mill house. Great one for going out with the boys she was. She'd gone missing from home like the other girl. Nobody knew where she was. So, naturally, people thought it would be her. But it wasn't? No. It was the other girl. No. Can't remember what she was called now. Some 
Some Victorian name. She lived with the ladies at the old manor house. Were they relations of hers? I don't think so. The eldest one, Miss Clotilde, took her abroad with her and helped her in her studies. Oh, she was heartbroken when she disappeared. Quite different to Miss Anthea. Miss Anthea is the youngest one, isn't she? Yes. Not all there, some people say. Sometimes you'll see her walking along, talking to herself, you know, and tossing her head in a very funny way. Children get quite frightened of her sometimes. The great-uncle who lived there before, he was a bit peculiar too. Used to practice shooting in the garden. But Miss Clotilde is not peculiar? Oh, no. She's clever. Knows Latin and Greek, I believe. Would have gone to university, but she had to look after her mother, who was an invalid for a very long time. Ah, oh, she was very fond of the girl. Did Miss Clotilde know that she was pregnant? Oh, no, I shouldn't think so. But you knew? Yeah, well, I've had a lot of experience. I can usually tell when a girl's that way. It's not only the shape. You can tell by the look in their eyes and the way they walk and sit. Oh, yes, I says to myself. Here's another of them. And what about Miss Anthea? Oh, there's no knowing what she thought or felt about anything. Funnily enough, I thought she had a funny look on her face, as though she was quite pleased. Farmer Plummer's daughter used to look like that. Always used to go and see the pigs killed. Enjoyed it, by all accounts. Funny things goes on in families. I would like these postcards, please. That is St Andrew's Church, isn't it? Yes, that's St Andrew's. Do you want stamps for them as well? Yes, please. One shilling and sixpence, that will be. Oh, there is one other thing. I have done something extremely stupid. I seem to have made so many mistakes of late. There was a parcel addressed to a charity. I sent some clothes, pullovers and children's woolies, and I did it up and wrote the address on it, and it was sent off. And then, the morning after it came to me that I had put the wrong address on it, I don't suppose any record is kept of the addresses of parcels, but I thought someone might just happen to remember it. The address I meant to put was the Dockyard and Thameside Welfare Association. Did you bring it yourself? No, I didn't. I'm staying at the old manor house, and one of them, Mrs. Glynn, I think it was, said she or her sister would post it for me. It was very kind of her. It wasn't Mrs. Glynn who brought it in, it was Miss Anthea. Oh, yes, yes, it probably was. I remember it quite well. In a good-sized dress box and quite heavy, I yes, think. Yes, that would be the one. Just a minute. You're in luck. I did make a note of the address. People are always asking me about suitable charities. But it wasn't the one you mentioned, not the Dockyard Association. No, that is what I feared. It was the Reverend Matthews, the East Ham Women and Children's Woolen Clothing Appeal. Of course. I see now how I came to make the mistake. At Christmas, I did send things to the East Ham Society in answer to a special appeal for knitted garments, so I must have copied down the wrong address. May I just make a note of it? Would you like a pencil? Very kind. I'm afraid the parcel's gone off. Oh, that doesn't matter. Thank you. I can write to them explaining my mistake and ask them to forward the parcel to the Dockyard Association instead. I'm sure they'll understand. Thank you for all your help.
poor old creature. Doesn't know whether she's coming or going. I wouldn't mind betting that won't be the last mistake she'll make this week. It was something of a long shot, of course, but I was curious to find out what was in the parcel that I had seen Anthea Bradbury Scott carrying while I was talking to Professor Wanstead. But it was time for me to make my way to the curfew arms for the inquest on Elizabeth Temple. I met Joanna Crawford and Emlyn Price going in the same direction. They say we've got to give evidence. I feel rather nervous about it. What will they ask me? I told that police sergeant everything I knew. I thought that would be the end of it. You mustn't worry, my dear. There's nothing very intimidating about a coroner's court. He'll just ask you a few questions and you'll tell him what you saw. You saw it too? Yes, I did. At least, I saw that there was someone there. And you saw the person pushing the boulder? Yes, I suppose I did. The police came and searched our rooms at the hotel, Miss Marple. They asked our permission, but they did have a search warrant. They looked in our luggage, too. I think they were checking up on the pullover. But why should they want to do that? If I had a red and black pullover, I'd hardly go to such lengths to draw attention to it. But you are certain that it was red and black? Well, Joanna is. I couldn't see it all that distinctly. And in any case, I have difficulty with colours. Yes, you are a bit colourblind. When I told you I'd lost my red scarf, you bought me a green one you found in the dining room. Well, don't tell everybody about it. I don't like people knowing that I'm colourblind. It might put them off. It doesn't put me off. So, you were not walking with the remainder of the party? No. We had left the main path and gone round the hill higher up the slope. You were walking with a companion? Yes, with Emlyn Price. He is interested in botany and we were looking out for rare flowers. Were you out of sight of the rest of the party? Not all the time. They were walking along the main path, some way below us, that is. And could you see Miss Temple? Yes. She was walking ahead of the others, and I think I saw her turn a corner of the path in front of them, after which the contour of the hill hid her. And did you see anyone walking above you on the hillside? Yes, much higher up, where there's a great clump of boulders on the side of the hill. Yes, I know exactly the place you mean. People call them the Grey Weathers. And you say you saw someone up there? Yes. He was standing by one of the boulders. They were so big and so heavy that I would have thought it impossible for anyone to move them. But the one he or she was pushing seemed to be balanced like a rocking stone. You say he or she. At first you said he. Which do you think, Miss Crawford? Well, I suppose I thought it was a man at the time. The person was wearing trousers and a pullover, a sort of man's pullover with a polo neck. And could you see what colour it was? A bright red and black check. And whoever it was had longish hair coming out of a kind of beret. Rather like a woman's hair, but it could well have been a man's. Identifying anyone's sex by their hair is certainly no easy matter nowadays. <laughs> what happened next? Well, the stone sort of toppled over the edge and began to gain speed. I shouted to Emlyn, It's going to go right over the hill. Then there was a sort of crash as it fell, and I think I heard a cry from below, but I might have imagined it. We ran round the corner of the hill and saw the boulder below on the path with a body underneath it and people running towards her. Was it Miss Temple who uttered the cry? I think it must have been. And what happened to the person you'd seen above, among the stones? I don't know. I was too busy running down the hill to see if I could do anything. When I did look back, there was no one in sight. Could it have been somebody in your party? No one that I can think of. 
There's certainly no one who has a pullover like that. Thank you, Miss Crawford. Could we have Mr. Emlyn Price, please? Inquest adjourned. I suppose there wasn't any other possible outcome. So what happens now? The police will have to make further inquiries arising out of the evidence given by the young people. One can hardly expect the coroner to give a verdict of accidental death after what they said. No, I suppose not. What's the matter, Miss Marple? Is there something that's worrying you? It is just that when he came to give his evidence, Emlyn Price's story was virtually a replica of Joanna Crawford's. That's hardly surprising. They were together. Yes, but when I met them before the inquest, he didn't seem at all sure. He wasn't positive that he'd seen the boulder being pushed forward, and he couldn't tell the colour of the pullover because he was colour-blind. You mean that when he came to give evidence, he simply went along with her story? Yes, and there is something else. When he first came to the old manor house to tell me what had happened, there was no suggestion in what he said that it was anything other than an accident. Are you implying that Joanna Crawford simply made up the entire story? It seems possible. Unless she... Unless she did it. Surely you're not suggesting that she might have done it herself. What possible motive could she have had? Why should she want to kill Miss Temple? Why should anyone want to kill Miss Temple? Mm, because of something she knew. But if she knew something, why didn't she try to tell me when we were alone in the hospital? I've gone over and over in my mind everything that she said to me. But there's only one phrase that seems significant. In fact, the whole mystery may hinge upon it. And what is that? Which of them, she said. That's what one has got to know. She must have been talking about Nora Broad and Verity Hunt. Which of them? If only I could be certain exactly what she meant by that. In part three of Agatha Christie's Nemesis, Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield. Professor Wanstead, David Swift. Miss Temple, Jill Balkan. Lavinia Glynn, Louis Ramsey. Anthea Bradbury Scott, Thelma Barlow. Clotilde Bradbury Scott, Mary Wimbush. Mrs. Mary Pitt, Kathleen Helm. The Postmistress, Patricia Scott. Joanna Crawford, Molly Gaysford. Emlyn Price, Roger Moss. The coroner, Colin Pinney. Other parts were played by members of the cast. Nemesis is dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. The late Mr. Raphael had sent me on a tour of houses and gardens in order to solve a mystery, the brutal killing of a young girl for which his son was serving a life sentence. He had arranged for me to meet people who had known the girl, her headmistress, Miss Temple, and the three sisters with whom she had lived. But my investigation had been overtaken by tragedy. Miss Temple had been killed by a falling rock. Was this an accident, or had she too been murdered? Professor Wanstead, who had been my ally on the tour, was anxious to talk to me after the inquest.
we present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's Nemesis. Now that the coroner has delivered his verdict, there's nothing to prevent the tour carrying on its way. Are you planning to go with it, Miss Marple? No, I don't think so, Professor. There is still so much for me to do here. You see, it's not just Mr. Raphael I'm working for now. I feel it is my duty to Miss Temple to find out what happened. And will you be staying here at the Golden Boar or at the old manor house? That rather depends on whether I receive any further invitation to go back. Meanwhile, I think it might be better for me to remain here... What about you? If it will not get in the way of your plans, I should prefer to return to London. I have work there waiting to be done. After all, Miss Marple, I came on this tour only to meet you. And now you have met me and know all I know, or practically all, you have other matters to put in hand. So what is the next stage of your investigation? <laughs> I only wish I knew. But there is something I've remembered. And what is that? Miss Temple said to me when we first talked to one another that she had come on the tour because she was going on a pilgrimage. Oh, did she say what the pilgrimage was? To where or to whom? No. I think that if she'd been able to live for a little longer and not been so weak, she might have told me. But death came too soon. I am coming to believe that the reason why she was killed was to prevent her going wherever she wanted to go. One can only hope that chance or providence may throw light on that. And that's the reason you're staying on here? It's part of it, I think. And I want to find out more about Nora Broad. The other girl who disappeared? Yes, mm. the girl who was so popular with all the young men. I think that if I could learn a little more about her, it would help me with my inquiries. Then I leave the investigation to you, Detective Inspector Marple. <laughs> But you won't go away without having a word with me, will you? There is something on which I would value your opinion, but I need a little more time to think it over. I'm not leaving until tomorrow, Miss Marple. I want to keep my eye on you for as long as I can. The service in memory of Elizabeth Temple was held in the local church. All my companions on the tour were there, and I also noticed Mrs. Glynn and her sister Clotilde, though there was no sign of Anthea. Perhaps it was just as well. But I could not help noticing an elderly clergyman in gaiters who was finding it rather difficult getting to his feet after kneeling. Was he perhaps an old friend of Miss Temple's? Some of my fellow travellers were returning to London. Others were determined to see the tour out and get their money's worth. Miss Cook and Miss Barrow seemed not to have made up their minds, or were they waiting to find out what I intended to do? Are you going to go on with the tour, Miss Marple? No, I think I shall probably stay on at the Golden Boar for a little while. I don't feel quite equal to going on travelling. I think that a day or two's rest might help me to just... Yes. I think we might hang around here for a while as well. There are some pretty good walks in the neighbourhood after all. I couldn't help wondering what they would have done if I had said I was going on with the tour. I waited until they were well out of sight before I made my next move... And then I went along to a neat little house at the end of the road. Oh, and what can I do for you, Mum? Mrs. Blackett. Yes, that's my name. I wonder if I might come in for a moment. I've just been to the memorial service and 
I am feeling a little giddy. Oh, if I could just sit down for a minute or two. Oh, come right in, ma'am. Come in and sit down. I'll get you a glass of water. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry to put you to any inconvenience. Oh, don't you worry about that. Here's your glass of water. Oh, thank you so much. I've got a nephew like that. He oughtn't to be at his age. He's not much over 50. But now and then he comes over all giddy and has to sit down before he passes out. And the doctors don't seem able to do anything about it. I'm feeling much better now, thank you. So, you've been to the service, have you, for that poor lady who got killed? There's rumour going about that it wasn't an accident. But, oh, these in-question coroners, they're always trying to find out something criminal, don't they? Yes, I'm sure. But then... So many strange things seem to have been happening round here. I was hearing about a girl called Nora. Nora Broad, I think it was. Oh, Nora, yes. She was my cousin's daughter. Oh, but all that was quite some time ago now. She went off, never came back. Not that it came as any surprise to me. I said to my cousin more than once, You're out working all day, I said. Do you have any idea what your Nora gets up to? You know she's one for the boys. There'll be trouble one day. You mark my words. And sure enough, I was right. You mean that she... Oh, yes. The usual trouble got herself in the pudding club. If you'll forgive me putting it like that. Mind you, I don't think my cousin knew about it. I thought I knew who'd done it, too. But then, when she went missing, the man stayed here. And he was really cut up about it. She just went off, did she? Well... Apparently, she accepted a lift from someone. No one knows who. And that's the last time she was seen. I forget the make of the car now, an audit or something. Anyway, she'd been seen once or twice in that car. And they do say it was the same car that the poor girl who got murdered was seen in. But I don't think that was what happened to Nora. If Nora had been murdered, the body would have come to life by now, surely. I would certainly have thought so. No, she must have gone off with someone for good. She never sent so much as a postcard. Had she anyone to go to? Except your cousin, I mean. Was there anyone who... Oh, there was many as was kind to her. There were the people up at the old manor house. Miss Anthea gave her a nice scarf and brought her a very pretty summer dress once. And Miss Clotilde tried to get her to take an interest in her schooling. Told her she was spending too much time running after boys. Uh, she didn't take a blind bit of notice. Anybody could pick her up. I always thought she'd end up going on the streets or become one of those strip teasers. It's terrible when they refuse to listen to good advice. Oh, anyway, it's better than getting herself murdered, like that poor girl Verity Hunt. She'd got everything that Nora hadn't. Everything a girl could wish for. And look what happened to her. I felt tired and slightly out of breath by the time I got back to the Golden Boar. I longed to put my feet up and close my eyes for an hour or two, but I was told that there was an archdeacon waiting for me in the lounge. It was the elderly cleric I had noticed at the memorial service. Elizabeth Temple was a very old friend of mine. I went to talk to the matron at the hospital before going to the church, 
And she told me that Elizabeth had asked to speak to you before she died. Yes, it surprised me to be sent for. Uh, you knew her well? No, I hardly knew her at all. I met her on the tour. We had talked a little to one another, that is all. Well, she was coming to visit me at Filmington, where I live. It is one of the stops on the coach tour, and Filmington Hall is not far from my house. There were various matters on which she thought I might be able to help her. May I ask you something? I hope you will not feel that I am prying. Oh, ask me anything you like, Miss Marple. One of the things Miss Temple said to me was that she had not come on the tour simply to visit historic houses and gardens. She had another purpose, and she asked me if I could guess what it was. And what did you say? I told her that she had the look of a person who was on a pilgrimage, and she said that that was so. She was. Oh, very strange. And what I wanted to ask you was whether that pilgrimage was her visit to you. Well, I rather think it must have been. We were talking about a young girl, a girl called Verity. Oh, Verity Hunt. But she died some time ago. Did you know that? Oh, yes. Miss Temple told me that this girl had been engaged to be married to the son of the late Mr. Raphael. Mr. Raphael had paid for me to come on this tour, and I think it was his intention that I should meet Miss Temple. I imagine he thought she might be able to give me certain information. About Verity Hunt? Yes. But that was why she was coming to see me. Elizabeth wanted to know certain facts. Did she want to know why Verity broke off her engagement to Mr. Raphael's son? We've got the old nursery map and we've got the cups. Have you got the mint cake? I wonder if you would mind very much if we were to continue our conversation on the hotel terrace. I don't wish to appear melodramatic, but there would be less chance there of our being overheard. It can't rain, not today. You see, Miss Marple, Verity didn't break off her engagement. I'm certain of that. Well, as certain as I can be of anything. Did Miss Temple know that? No, I don't think she did. The whole business of Verity Hunt was something which disturbed her very much. And why did this marriage not take place? Please don't think that this is just idle curiosity. I too am on not a pilgrimage, but what I should call a mission. You're involved in some way. I am involved by the dying wishes of Michael Raphael's father. He wanted me to find out whether his son really was guilty of the crime for which he had been imprisoned. Well, I doubt whether I can help you very far, but I'll do what I can. I knew that dear child Verity from a long way back. I prepared her for confirmation. I used to hold services at Elizabeth Temple School. Verity. Was one of the most beautiful children, in mind and heart as well as appearance, that I've ever come across. She had the great misfortune to lose her parents before she was truly adult. She went to live with a close friend of her mother's, Clotilde Bradbury Scott, and her sisters at the old manor house near here. But perhaps you've already made their acquaintance.、Uh, yes, I have met them. Yes, I saw nothing of her again. Until the day she came, when suddenly she turned up at my house, looking very bewildered and anxious, with an attractive young man who I happen to know slightly, Michael Raphael. They told me that they were in love with one another and wanted to get married. And did you agree to marry them? Yes, I did. 
Perhaps, Miss Marple, you may think that I should not have done so. It was obvious that they'd come to me in secret. And I'll tell you frankly, Michael Raphael was not the kind of person you would want for any daughter or relation of yours. So I have heard. Well, he'd been in trouble ever since his boyhood. He'd been involved in a whole series of crimes of one sort and another. And he was a bad lot as far as girls were concerned as well. And did Verity know what kind of a person he was? We made no attempt to deceive her. He'd withheld nothing. He told her that when he married her, he would turn over a new leaf. And did she believe him? She said to me, I know what Mike is like. I know he'll always be that kind of person. But I love him. I may be able to help him, and I may not. But I'll take the risk. A brave girl. I'll tell you this, Miss Marple. Through my work with many young people, I've come to know when a couple really are in love with one another. Those two loved in the words of the marriage service. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. But there my story ends. I can't tell you more because I don't know what happened. I only know that I agreed to do as they asked. We settled a day, a time, a place. I think perhaps I was to blame for agreeing to the secrecy. They didn't want anyone to know? Well, Verity didn't. And I should imagine that Michael most certainly didn't. They were afraid of being stopped. For Verity, I think there was a feeling of escape. From the old manor house? From being too cared for, too protected. She wanted to escape to a different kind of life. But the road she started out on led to pain and death. And that is why I have a grave feeling of guilt. Yes, I can understand that. What happened on that day, the day they were to be married? Well, I waited. Waited for a bride and bridegroom who never came. And who sent me no word. Nothing. It still seems to me unbelievable. Not that they didn't come, but that they sent me no word. Something must have happened between them. Something that opened Verity's eyes to some aspect of Michael Raphael's character that she'd not known before. Well, in that case, surely she'd have let me know. She wouldn't have left me waiting there to join them in holy matrimony. She was a girl of beautiful manners, well brought up. She would have sent word. No, I'm afraid there is only one thing that could have happened. Death. Yes, death. Love. By that you mean? It's what Miss Temple said to me. I asked her why the girl died, and she said, love, and that love was one of the most frightening words in the world. I see, or at least I think I see. But why did he kill her? It can't have been because she told him she was going to have a child, surely. Now, the only possible solution is that the boy had some kind of dual personality, a kind of Jekyll and Hyde. But why did he have to kill her in that savage way? Must have happened on that very day, the day I was going to join them in marriage. Did you attend the trial? Yes, I did. He made a very bad impression in court. In what way? Well, he told futile and senseless lies. He got his friends to give him impossible alibis. He seemed very frightened. He said nothing of his plan to marry. 
I believe his counsel was of the opinion that it would tell against him, that the girl might have been forcing him to marry her because she was pregnant. All the evidence was dead against him. And he looked so guilty. And you are certain that he killed her? Well, I've always hoped that it may have been somebody else. Some stranger, perhaps. But I can't make myself believe it. You said you were certain of their love for one another. Oh, yes. I'm still certain. Though I fear it may have brought about her death. You must go on believing as you do. I think that I believe it too. But then why? At first, when Elizabeth Temple said that the girl had died of love, I thought she meant suicide. You don't kill yourself by beating in your own head. I'm beginning to see now that she might have meant something else by love, and why love seemed to her such a frightening word. I hope you find the solution to all this, Miss Marble. I made the wrong judgment. I didn't know the danger she was running, and now I'm a sad and unhappy man. The following day, the coach was drawn up in front of the Golden Boar, and the long-delayed tour was about to get going again. Mrs. Risley Porter was in a great state of indignation because her niece, Joanna Crawford, had gone down with a sore throat and a high temperature and would be unable to accompany her on the rest of the tour. She boarded the bus in a high state of self-pity. Bon voyage and good riddance, that's what I say. Was that addressed to Mrs. Risley Porter, Mr. Price? It certainly was. She'll have to lug her own luggage about now and find someone else to nag and bully. I am sorry to hear that Joanna is under the weather. She'll be all right just as soon as the bus turns that corner. I see. And is that why you are not continuing with the tour either? We're staying on here for a day or two. There's quite a lot to keep us occupied. And after the strain of the inquest and all that, Joanna could do with a little diversion. I'm sure she could. You don't disapprove of us, do you? Well, I have known such things to happen. The excuses may have been different in my day, and you can get away with things more easily now. Perhaps we can. It is strange, isn't it, that no one has come forward to confirm what you both said you saw? The person pushing the boulder down on Miss Temple? I don't think it's particularly strange. No one else was on the track where we were walking, and the contour of the hill would have obscured the rocks from the people walking on the main path. But I'd better go and tell Joanna the coast's clear. And he was off before I could ask the question that was on the tip of my tongue. My doubts would have to wait. And I needed to talk to Professor Wanstead again before he caught his train back to London. I really feel I ought to stay here to keep an eye on you. No, Professor, there is no need for you to do that. There are other things you ought to be doing. What things? Are you on to something? I sincerely hope so, but I need to verify it. There are certain matters that I cannot handle myself. However, I think that they fall within your province, because you're in touch with what I call the authorities. Meaning Scotland Yard and the governors of Her Majesty's prisons? Exactly. One or other, or all of them. You might have the Home Secretary in your pocket, too. You don't let much stand in your way, do you? Where do you want me to start? First of all, I want to give you this address. Hmm. Some charity or other, I take it. 
one of the better ones, I believe. You send them clothes, jackets, pullovers, that sort of thing. You're not suggesting I donate something? I want you to make inquiries there about a parcel which was sent to them two days ago, sent from the post office here. I want to find out what was in it. I've no doubt you can somehow manage that. Will there be anything inside the parcel to say who actually sent it? I rather think not. Though I suppose it is just possible there might be a note saying from Miss Anthea Bradbury Scott. Did she, um... She took uh, it to the post. You had asked her to take it there? Oh, no. The first I saw of the parcel was when you and I were sitting out on the terrace the other day and she passed by carrying it. You think that this parcel might be interesting? I think the contents of it might be quite important. You like keeping your secrets, don't you, Miss Marple? Oh, not exactly secrets. They are possibilities that I'm exploring. One doesn't like to make positive assertions unless one has a little more positive knowledge. Anything else? I think that whoever is in charge of these things should be warned that there might be a second body to be found. Do you mean a second body connected with the crime we have been considering? The murder of Verity Hunt? Yes, I'm quite sure of it, as a matter of fact. And do you know where this body is? Oh, yes. I'm quite sure I know where it is. But I need to have a little more time before I can tell you that. What kind of a body? A man, a woman, a child? The other missing girl. Nora Broad. You know, the more you tell me, the less I like leaving you here. We don't want you to be the next corpse. Don't you worry. I'm not expecting anything like that. <sighs> Do you suspect any particular person? Or people? Yes. I think I do. But I need to find out more, at least as much as an old woman like me can. Do I understand you're no longer interested in the people who have gone off in the coach? Why should I be interested in them? Because you said Mr. Raphael had sent you on the coach for a particular reason, and sent you to the old manor house for a particular reason. Very well, then. The death of Elizabeth Temple is presumably tied up with someone on the coach. But your remaining here ties up with the old manor house. You're not quite right there. There are connections between the two, but I need someone to tell me things. Do you think you'll be able to make someone tell you? I think I might. But you'll miss your train if you don't go soon. Yes, you're right. I'd, uh, I'd better be going. I'll walk with you to reception. Looks as though your shadows are waiting for you, Miss Marples. My shadows? Oh, you mean Miss Cook and Miss Barrow. They never seem to let me out of their sight for long. So you're off back to London, Professor? Yes, I am. You're both staying on, I take it. Oh, yes. We've discovered there is so much to see round here. There's a particularly interesting Saxon church at St. Martin's in the Grove with what sounds like a really unusual font and the remains of a doom painting over the chancel arch. We were wondering whether you'd like to come and see it with us, Miss Marple. You're very kind, but I don't think I feel quite up to going off on an expedition. It's only five miles away, and there's a very good local bus service. Not today, I think. Perhaps I might join you on another of your little outings. We'll take you up on that, Miss Marple. Have a safe journey, Professor. Goodbye. Goodbye. I really am getting more and more worried about leaving you here. First Joanna Crawford and her strange boyfriend, and now those two. I am perfectly capable of taking good care of myself, Professor. Now off you go. And don't forget to ring that charity. I won't. Goodbye, Miss Marple. I had luncheon alone in the dining room. 
After all the hustle and bustle of the tour departure, the Golden Boar suddenly seemed a strangely deserted place. I went out onto the terrace to drink my coffee and work out a plan of campaign, but I nodded off and woke suddenly to find Anthea Bradbury Scott standing beside me. Good afternoon, Miss Marple. Oh. oh, you rather startled me for a moment. We'd only just heard that you didn't go off with the others on the coach after all. We had no idea you were staying on here by yourself. After all that has happened, I felt that I needed a rest. I do so understand. Uh, Clotilde and Lavinia sent me to say that we do hope you'll be able to come back to the old manor house and stay with us again. I'm sure it will be nicer for you to be there. There are so many people coming and going here, especially at weekends. We would be very, very glad if you could come back to us. That is most kind of you, really most kind, but I... It would be so much better if you came to us. We'd try to make you very comfortable. Oh, I'm sure you would. And I have enjoyed my previous stays with you very much. So, it's settled then. You may as well come with me now. Let me help you pack your things. The late Mr. Raphael had left me a legacy on the condition that I solved a mystery, the brutal murder of a young woman, Verity Hunt, for which his son was serving a life sentence. But then there was another death, that of the girl's headmistress, Elizabeth Temple, and that too looked very like murder. And there was the strange disappearance of another young girl, nor abroad to be accounted for. The sisters at the old manor house, where for a while Verity Hunt had lived, had invited me to stay with them again, and I had accepted, for I believed that somewhere in that place might lie the solution to the mystery. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Darjeeling, Miss Marple, your favorite. And those little scones you were so fond of. How very kind, Mrs. Glynn, and how clever of you to remember. I can't tell you what a pleasure it is for us to have you back here again. Curious, the way she is always exactly the same. Comfortable, no particular emotions or feelings, almost too devoid of them, as if she's practiced to show nothing to the outside world. We noticed you at the service for Elizabeth Temple, Miss Marple. And Clotilde, looking more than ever like Clytemnestra. But Clotilde has never had a husband to murder, though she looks capable of it. Surely, surely she couldn't have murdered a girl to whom she was so attached. I've been picking lilies. Just look at them. Oh, funeral flowers. That's what we ought to have today, isn't it? Oh, Althea, don't do that. It isn't right. Strew me the ground. Althea is not just scattered. She is frightened of something, but what? Is she frightened that her sisters might decide to put her into an institution? Decide that it is unsafe for her to remain at liberty? Lilies that best are smell far worse than weeds. 
go and put them in water. I really do think oh, she's... she's getting worse. I'd better go and see what she's up to. They might break the vase. Oh. oh, I am sorry, Miss Marple. Poor Anthea has these silly fits of laughing every now and then. I can see you are worried about her. Well, we don't want to, to send her anywhere, but I do think she ought to have treatment. Though I know she wouldn't want to go away from here. Oh, it's so difficult to know what to do for the best in these mm. cases. And now Lavinia is talking of going to live in Tiamina. I think she doesn't like being in the same house as Anthea. She's definitely afraid of her. Sometimes I think we'd do better to sell this house and leave it altogether. It must be very sad for you living here with the memory of the past. Oh. Shadow of death's always hanging over this place. Won't go away. One's mind goes back to that dear child. She was like a daughter to me. I was so proud of her. And then this wretched attachment, that terrible, mentally afflicted boy. You're speaking of Mr. Raphael's son. And if only he'd never set foot in this house. I'd never thought that Verity... Oh, I suppose it happens with girls of that age. I understand that he had a prison record. I tried to keep him away from the house. I told him he wasn't to come here anymore. Of course, that was stupid. All it meant was that she met him outside. He'd go off in his car and he'd bring her back late at night. Once or twice he didn't bring her back till the next day. Tried to tell them it must stop, but they wouldn't listen. I mean, Verity wouldn't listen. I didn't expect him to, of course. She intended to marry him? Oh, no, I don't think it ever got as far as that. I don't think he ever thought of such a thing. You must have suffered very much. Well, the worst was having to identify the body. I found her a long way away from here. In a ditch down a lane where people hardly ever went. Oh, the body was a terrible sight. The cruelty, the, the force that had been used. Why did he have to do that to her face? Wasn't it enough that he, he, he strangled her with her own scarf? I am sorry for you. Very, very sorry. Yeah, I believe you are. And even you don't know the worst of it. Really? I can never be certain about Anthea. Anthea? She, she was very jealous, and she suddenly seemed to turn against Verity. She looked at her almost as if she hated her. There have been times when I've thought... Well, she used to have these storms of rage. She did once attack someone. Oh, how terrible to have that doubt lurking in your mind. Oh, no, there's, there's no question of any such thing, but... Oh, if only I could be sure. No, I'm getting hysterical. If there's anything I can do... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to go to my room. You mustn't pay too much attention to Clotilde. She's never really recovered from that ghastly business. She seems to be very worried about your sister. About Anthea? Anthea's all right. She has fantasies sometimes. It... What's that? Hello? There's somebody at the French windows. Yes, can I help you? We're so sorry to barge in on you like this. We were looking for Miss Marple. 
We did try the front door, but the bell didn't seem to be working. Do come in, please. The bell's rather temperamental, I'm afraid. We've met before, haven't we? Yes, at the Golden Boar, when you came to see Miss Marple. I'm Miss Cook, and this is Miss Barrow. Please, do sit down. Thank you. People at the inn told us that we'd probably find Miss Marple here. We thought we should let you know, Miss Marple, that the church we were telling you about, the one with the Saxon font, is closed for restoration. We wouldn't have wanted you to go all that way for nothing. How very considerate of you. What made you decide not to carry on with the coach tour? It seemed to us that it would be rather... rather bad taste after what had happened. Oh, yes, I do understand. A little cold-blooded. Would you care for a glass of sherry, perhaps? Oh, that would be very pleasant. How very kind, thank you. My sisters will probably be down soon. I'm sure they'd like to meet you. One can't help wondering what the police are up to. The police? Over the business of poor Miss Temple. They're obviously suspicious, or they wouldn't have adjourned the inquest. Perhaps they're trying to decide whether that boulder just rolled down or whether it was pushed. But who on earth would want to do a thing like that? Well, there are always hooligans about and mad people. Although it has crossed my mind... That it might be one of the people on our coach tour. It wasn't exactly... What... Miss Temple was a stranger here. It doesn't seem likely that anyone living locally would have had any reason for killing her. Surely it's more probable that it was someone on the tour. Uh, have you any definite theory yourself, Miss Marple? Well, there are two people who spring to mind. I'm sure they're very nice people, but I mean there's nobody else logically who could be suspected. You mean that the person Joanna and Emlyn saw... Well, it did cross my mind that perhaps they hadn't seen anybody. You mean that they might have rolled that bowler down themselves? Well, they're the sort of obvious people, aren't they? Something that never would have occurred to me, but of course I don't know what these young people were like. Oh, they were really very nice, or gave the impression of being so. Or perhaps they didn't mean to kill Miss Temple. They may have meant it just as a, well, an act of anarchy, just killing anyone. And then, of course, they told the story of seeing someone up there dressed in some highly coloured pullover. It does seem most unlikely. Well, certainly a very interesting thought. Well, if you'll forgive us, we must be getting back to the Golden Boar. Are you coming with us, Miss Marple? Oh, no. I forgot to tell you I've been very kindly invited to stay here for tonight. And tomorrow night as well. Well, I'm sure that will be very nice for you, Miss Marple, and much more comfortable. The new arrivals at the Golden Board do seem to be a rather rowdy lot. Oh, why don't you both come around and have coffee with us after dinner? I'm afraid we can't actually offer you dinner because we haven't enough in the house, but if you'd like to come round afterwards... Oh, very kind of you. And it's such a lovely evening. We'll certainly take advantage of your hospitality. They're a very curious couple, Miss Cook and Miss Barrow, aren't they? Do you think they might have done the murder? But why should they want to kill Miss Temple? But they might have been pupils at a school, or, or known someone who was. Someone who'd always hated her and had it in for her. Do you really think that hate can last as long as that? Oh, yes. I think so. You could hate someone for years and years. No, I think that hate would die out. 
It's not so strong a force as love. I still think there's something very mysterious about those two women. Don't you, Clotilde? Oh, I don't know about mysterious. They struck me as being rather artificial. I think they're distinctly sinister. You're imagining things as usual, Anthea. Anyway, they were walking along the lower path, weren't they? Well, you saw them there, didn't you, Miss Marple? Well, she wasn't there. She was here in our garden. Oh, of course she was. I forgot. And a very peaceful day it was. I enjoyed it very much. Tomorrow morning I should like to go out and look at that mass of white flowers coming into bloom at the end of the garden by that raised-up mound. Such a beautiful, tranquil spot. I shall always remember it. I hate it. I want it taken away. I want to build the greenhouse there again. Surely, if we save enough money, we can do that, can't we, Clotilde? What earthly use would a greenhouse be to us now, Anthea? It would be years before the vines would bear grapes again. We have argued about this over and over again. Now, let's go into the drawing room. Our guests will be here for coffee any moment now. Oh, I can't tell you how pleasant it is for us to be in your beautiful old house. <laughs> You simply can't imagine how frightful the people are at the Golden Boar. Shouting and laughing and larking about. Coffee for you, Miss Marple. Oh, thank you. Surely you're not going to drink coffee last thing at night, Miss Marple. You won't sleep properly. I'm quite used to coffee in the evening. Oh, but not this kind of coffee. I shouldn't advise you to drink it. Believe me, Miss Marple, I'm quite an expert in these matters. Perhaps you're right. Uh, Miss Bradbury Scott, do you happen to have a photograph of the poor girl we were speaking of earlier? After all that the Archdeacon was saying about her, I should so like to know what she looked like. Yes, of course, there's, there's one over here. A young girl who was almost an adopted daughter here, Miss Cook, and who was most savagely murdered. You are. That was Verity. A beautiful face. A very beautiful and unusual face. Poor child. It's so dreadful nowadays. These terrible things seem to be happening all the time. Young girls going out with young men who might be total strangers and nobody taking the trouble to look after them. Oh, they have to look after themselves and they've no notion of how to do it. God help them. Thank you so much for letting me see her picture. It does make... <coughs> oh, oh, I am so sorry. Oh, was that my fault? No, no, no. That cup must have caught on my sleeve. Oh, dear. I'll get you another cup. Oh, perhaps you'd prefer some hot milk? That would be very kind. Just when I'm going to bed, perhaps... Yes, of course. It's sure to give you a good night. Miss Cook and Miss Barrow stayed for a while, keeping up a rather awkward and desultory conversation. When the time came for them to go, they made a very fussy departure. First one and then the other came back to collect something that had been left behind. I'm so sorry. How very silly of There was Miss Cook's scarf and then her gloves. And then, finally, Miss Barrow's handbag. <laughs> and now we really are on our way. <laughs> Good night, Miss Marple. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. I must say, I'm rather inclined to agree with you about those two, Clotilde. They don't seem altogether real, if you know what I mean. Yes, I have been wondering about them a great deal, too why they chose to come on the tour and what might have been their real reason. 
Have you discovered the answer? I think so. I've discovered the answers to lots of things. And now I think I'd better be getting to bed. I'll fetch you that glass of hot milk. Would you like to have breakfast in bed in the morning? No, no, I would much rather come down. I shall want to go out into the garden while it's still fresh and look at those beautiful flowers I was speaking about. Where the old greenhouse used to be. Oh, so sad, so very sad. I hope you sleep well, Miss Marple. But sleep was the last thing I had in mind. I lay with my hand not very far from the bedside lamp, listening to the various old clocks all over the house marking the passing hours. I was wearing the old pink scarf that had so amused Mr. Raphael, my nemesis scarf. And then I heard the door of my room opening, very softly. I just came in to see if there was anything you wanted. No, thank you. There's nothing I want. I'm afraid that I have not drunk my milk. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't think it would be very good for me. Not wholesome, you know. Not wholesome? I think you know what I mean. I think you've known all evening, perhaps even before that. What an extraordinary person you are. What sort of woman are you? One of my names is Nemesis. Nemesis? What do you mean? You're an educated woman you know very well. Nemesis, the goddess of retribution. What has that to do with me? A very beautiful girl whom you killed, Verity. And why should I kill her? Because you loved her. Of course I loved her. You loved Verity too much. She meant everything in the world to you. And then a different kind of love came into her life. Michael Raphael may not have been a very suitable specimen, but she loved him, and he loved her, and she wanted to escape. She wanted marriage and the happiness of a normal young woman's life. You seem to understand very well. Can you imagine what I have suffered? Yes, I can imagine it. In agony of knowing you're going to lose the thing you love best in the world. And to a miserable, depraved delinquent. I had to stop it. I had to. Yes. Sooner than let that girl go, you killed her. Because you loved her, you killed her. You can't believe that I could do that to a girl I loved. Crush her head to a pulp, disfigure her face. No, I don't believe you did that to Verity. The girl that happened to was not the girl you loved. Verity is still here, isn't she? I don't think you strangled her. I imagine you gave her a painless overdose of something in a cup of coffee or a glass of milk. And when she was dead, you took her body out into the garden, you pulled aside the fallen bricks of the greenhouse and buried her under the floor. And then the polygonum was planted there and has flowered ever since, growing bigger every year. Verity 
has remained here with you. You never let her go. Do you think you're ever going to get away to tell this story? I hope I am. But I know you would have no scruples. You didn't stop at one murder. You killed the girl you loved and you killed a different girl. I killed a silly little tramp, an adolescent tart. Nor abroad. How did you know about her? You could not have harmed the face of the girl you loved. I heard that another girl had disappeared at the same time and that her body had never been found. But her body had been found, of course. Dressed in Verity's clothes, battered beyond recognition and identified by you as Verity Hunt. It served a double purpose. What do you mean by that? You wanted to be revenged on the boy who had taken Verity away from you. You wanted him to be convicted of the murder you had committed. You arranged to meet Nora Broad in your car outside the village. You drugged her, dressed her in Verity's clothes and brutally murdered her. And you put Verity's handbag with Michael Raphael's letters in it beside the body. He was vile and contemptible. He wasn't worthy to touch her. A week ago, you committed a third murder, the murder of Elizabeth Temple. You killed her because she had come to this part of the world to meet Archdeacon Brabazon, and you were afraid of what Verity might have written to her or told her. You thought that once Miss Temple and the Archdeacon began to piece together what had happened, they would rapidly arrive at the truth. Rolling that boulder down on top of her must have taken some doing. But you are a very strong woman. Strong enough to deal with you. I don't think you will be allowed to do that. And who is going to stop me? My guardian angel. Ah, your guardian angel. Quite possibly, too. Mr. Raphael never did things by halves. Don't move. Stay just where you are. You get away from her. Two guardian angels. Mr. Raphael has done me proud. And when did you realize that those two strange women were private agents? I wasn't absolutely certain until the moment when Miss Cook advised me against drinking the coffee. And then, just as she was saying goodbye, Miss Barrow pressed something into my hand. It was a high-powered whistle. And did you help her conceal herself in the wardrobe? No, it came as a complete surprise when she stepped out of it. But you knew they were in the house. I thought they would be at hand somewhere. They made such a business about coming back to fetch things they'd forgotten that it must have been easy enough for them to leave a window unfastened. You were taking a pretty big risk. One cannot go through life without taking risks now and then. I hoped for the best. Oh, I, I tracked down the parcel you asked me to investigate. It contained a brand new, brightly coloured pullover in scarlet and black checks. The one Clotilde wore when mm -hmm. she pushed the boulder down on Miss Temple. I was sure that that was what Anthea was taking to the post office the following day. Do you think that either Lavinia or Anthea suspected what had happened? Lavinia Glynn was not at the old manor house at the time of Verity's disappearance, but Anthea was. I think the truth came to her little by little. She was disturbed about the mound that Clotilde had raised over the remains of the greenhouse. I think she may have guessed what was buried underneath it. Her behaviour was so peculiar that morning she showed me round the garden, and she was evidently so frightened that at first I thought it was she who had committed the murder and not that 
poor lost soul, her sister Clotilde. Were you relieved that Clotilde escaped justice in the end? <laughs> escaped justice seems a funny way of putting it. She had suffered the misery of frustrated love and was tortured by the memory of what she had done. My glass of milk was standing there ready to hand when Miss Cook took me out of the room. Clotilde must have drained it in an instant. It wasn't an escape from justice. It was an escape from the terrible misery of the life she was living with the knowledge that the girl she had loved was lying there beneath that beautiful polygonum. Nothing worse could happen to her. I think that means that the person you wished to meet has arrived. Shall we go? Of course, Professor Wanstead. Michael, I want to introduce you to Miss Jane Marple, who has been so very active on your behalf. Miss Marple, this is Michael Raphael. Yes, I've been hearing about it. Thanks very much. Is it true they're going to give me a free parole or something silly like that? Yes, it's going through. You will be a free man in a very short time. It's nice to know. It will take a little getting used to, I expect. I suppose it probably will. It was very kind of you to have taken so much trouble. I'm very grateful. It is not me you should be grateful to. It is your father you really have to thank. My father. He never thought much of me. When he was dying, he was determined you should get justice. Justice? In the letter he wrote to me, he quoted these lines. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an everlasting stream. It doesn't mean anything to me. Where's it from? It's from the Bible. The Bible? One has to think about it. I had to. They gave me this. It's a photograph. They thought I might like to keep it, but really you are the person who should have first claim on it. Though it is possible you may not want it. Verity. No. You are right. I do not want it. All that life is gone. There's no point in trying to keep her with me. From here on, I've got to start moving forward. You understand? Yes, Michael. I understand. And I think you are right. Goodbye. And good luck. Thank you, Miss Marple. Goodbye. Well, he could have been a bit more enthusiastic after all that you'd done for him. Oh, I thought that under the circumstances he was extremely courteous. It is very embarrassing when you have to thank people and to start to see everything from a different angle. But he doesn't seem to me to be bitter. That's the great thing. I can understand why that girl loved him. Perhaps he'll go straight after this. Oh, I'm not so certain about that. I don't think he'll be able to help himself. 
What we must hope is that he'll meet a really nice girl. What I like about you, Miss Marple, is your delightfully practical mind. <laughs> a really nice girl. Congratulations, Miss Marple. A truly splendid job. Now then, about this bequest from Mr. Raphael that we are holding on your behalf, would you like us to pay it into your bank, or would you prefer us to give you a little advice on how to invest it? It is quite a large sum. Twenty thousand pounds. If you would like me to introduce you to one of our brokers... Oh, no, I don't want to invest it. There is no point at my age. I am sure that Mr. Raphael meant me to enjoy it. I'm going to spend it. And I'm going to have some fun with it. Uh, you don't think you ought to be putting some of it aside for a rainy day? No, Mr. Broadrib. Thank you for your concern, but the only thing I shall need for a rainy day is my umbrella. Good day. <laughs> <laughs>